Today's reading is Hebrews chapter 2, 10 to 18. That can be found on page 1202. That's page 1202. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name. To my brothers and sisters, in the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am, and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but, the, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Thank you, Michelle, very much indeed. And can I just say how good it is to see you here this afternoon at Trinity Church, Islington. Welcome once again. My name is Jeremy. Well, we're going to be looking at a couple of parts of the Bible as we start our new series this week called Free Indeed. Thinking about Christian freedom, what it is to be liberated as Christian men and women. Just before we start, though, I'm going to pray. And if you'd like to join me, then please do. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much that that when the Bible was written in history, you knew exactly how useful it would be to us where we are today as we meet. So I pray, Father God, that we would listen to your word. I, I pray we hear your voice speaking to us. And so I pray you would comfort us in our fears and remind us of the freedom which is ours in Jesus. Now we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, a while ago, um, a Christian friend told me a joke about church. Um, this is the joke. You ready? Uh, why is going to church like getting into a helicopter? Does anyone know the answer to that? Why is going to church like getting into a helicopter? And uh, the answer is because when you go to church, you have to keep your head down or you'll get sucked into the rotors. That's the, um, that's the joke. Um, going to church keep keep your head down or you'll end up being given some sort of regular responsibility but it's not it's not just the rotors is it that that we that sometimes there's a bit of a heart sink at church um it's the time commitment it's the stress it's the people it's the awkwardness sometimes just of being a christian and talking about god and there are all those things you can't do uh, that you're told about and all those things you have to do that you're told about and and it's and it's quite possible um before too long to just feel quite trapped by it all. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it just feels very restricting, all these things that, that come along with being a Christian. And, and many of us reach this moment, I don't know whether you, maybe you've reached it today, I don't know, uh, where we would just love 
to have the freedom of a Sunday afternoon without all of that stress. It, it just seems good, isn't it? Uh, without the stress and, and, and all the implied criticism which Christianity seems to bring along with it. it. Sometimes it feels like if we just walked away, then we would be unburdened. We would be liberated from all of the hassle that comes not just from the rotors, but the whole Christian thing. Because somewhere along the line, I think we've, we've just lost the idea of Christian freedom. It was something which was so central at the time of the Reformation. Um, this is a, a, a great book about the Reformation. It's called Freedom Movement, the Freedom Movement. And, and that was what was rediscovered at the time of the Reformation. Luther's first pamphlet, I think, was called On Christian Freedom. But we stopped enjoying that. Somewhere along the line, we stopped enjoying that. Christian freedom. Not, not just um, not, not personal independence from God. That's just being enslaved to our own constant appetite for more. That's not what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about giving ourselves independence to God. Uh, the, the kind of freedom that comes from just belonging to him and enjoying all the benefits which are ours as Christians. And the kind of freedom that, that Jesus talks about in John 8. Do you know that bit? Where, where he says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Or um, in Galatians, do you know that bit? Galatians 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christians can enjoy being the most free people in the world, the most liberated people in the world. So why doesn't it feel like that? That's the question that we're thinking about these next few weeks. Why do, why do we feel so burdened? Why don't we feel set free in the gospel? And that's the theme of our new series, Free Indeed. We're going to be thinking about freedom from anxiety, from anxiety, from worry. We're going to be thinking about freedom from the court of public opinion. It's a great thing. But today we're going to start with the fear of death, the fear of dying. The, the fear which, someone has said, mocks all of our achievements. The, the fear which some psychologists say really stands at the root of all of our fears. The fear that we'll be forgotten. Christians are free from that. And we're going, to, we're going to spend some time this afternoon enjoying that freedom. That's our aim. Because we are genuinely free. We are free from the fear of death. That's the first of our two points. So come with me to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. It's there on page 1202. And we're going to look at a couple of verses. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Let me read those verses to you again. This is what the writer to the Hebrews says. Since the children, that's God's children, have flesh and blood, he, that's Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Extraordinary two verses. We, we, we've been freed, the Bible says, from the fear of death by Jesus Christ himself. Here's, here's the backdrop. The, the writer of the Hebrews has already sort of mentioned Genesis 1 and 2. This, this is what it says. It says that God made Adam in the Garden of Eden. Uh, this is the backdrop. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews has got Genesis open in, in, in front of them. Um, God made Adam in the Garden of Eden, and then verse 8, put everything under his feet. Adam was made to be God's second in command. That's what it says. 
uh, and he was meant to be crowned with glory and honor, verse 7. Okay, that's not a bad situation. That's the first picture on the screen. God made Adam and put him in charge of the world when, when he made the world. He's the vice president of God's creation. But that's not the way that things turned out. Um, end of verse 8, because Adam decided to listen to the snake. And then, and then he turns against the God who's, who's made him. And just so you know, that's what the Bible calls sin. And, 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 and so because of that, death comes into God's world and it just rips it up. It rips it up. And now death's thing that you just can't escape. Um, I went to my great uncle's funeral the other day. Um, my sister and I were his only living relatives. It was one of those bleak, freezing days. And um, you know how painful funerals can be. You'll have been to funerals. You know what it's like. Um, but do you know what struck me? As we walked around uh, a cemetery in, in Blackpool, freezing cold day, I've read if, what a few people have had written on their gravestones. This is what it said on a number of them, dead but never forgotten. I'm not sure that's true. I'm not sure that's true. I think people are forgotten. I think we are forgotten, and death mocks all of our achievements. What will it be? Well, a few generations' time, no one will. No one will know who Jeremy Hobson was. I guess. Death mocks all our achievements. And we're just, we're somewhere in the queue and we don't know how close to the front we are. And so the fear of death enslaves us. And, and in our most honest, in our most honest moments, we accept that. And this is a book called A, a Brief History of Thought by non-Christian philosopher Dr. Luke Ferry. Um, it was a phenomenal international bestseller, according to the cover. Um, eight months on the bestseller list in France. It's a, it, it's a sort of summary of uh, philosophy through the ages. And Dr. Luke Ferry, PhD, uh, and professor, says this in his introduction. We start from a very simple proposition, one that contains the central question of all philosophy. The human being is mortal. It is a state of affairs which is disturbing and absurd. Philosophy is needed because the problem of death, he says, is unsolved. Is it? Come back with me to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Can, can you see the great rescue mission? Once death has come into the world, verse 14, this is the great rescue mission in which Jesus Christ, the Son of God, engages. Verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood. God, God's children are made literally from blood and flesh. We're physical people. That's the way we're made. We're made of atoms and molecules and liquid and solid. That's us. We have bodies that get old and, and die. And some of us are very aware of that. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. Um, verse 9, he was made lower than the angels for a little while. He sort of, he dives down to be with us in the world that he's made. And he takes on a physical body and he stands next to us. Um, that's what's called the incarnation, the incarnation. Um, someone said to me slightly shockingly, it's like chili con carne. It's the sort of, this is the, this is the meat, this is the body that we walk around in. Jesus 
comes in a real body, just as real as ours. If you'd cracked a joke, Jesus would have laughed. If you'd hit him, he would have bled. He's shared in our humanity. Why? Why does he do that? Well, the point of Christmas is Easter. That, that's what it's saying in, in verse 14. This is the so that in verse 14. So that by his death, Jesus Christ, fixed to a Roman plank of wood, AD 33, tortured to death, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Revolutionary. Uh, I've got a friend called Jim. Uh, he was here on Christmas Day. And um, a couple of years ago, he gave me this book. Um, I love this book. It's called Blueprint for Revolution. I'd, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. Um, it's actually written by the guys who overthrew Milosevic in Serbia. Uh, part of the resistance movement started as a, a sort of student uprising. And what they realized was that they could be arrested and beaten and put in prison, but there was ultimately nothing to fear from the, from the regime. And they brought it down. They took on Milosevic, and they showed that in the end there was nothing to fear from his brutal regime. And Jesus takes it even further. Can you see that? He comes down lower than the angels. He comes alongside people like you and me, ordinary men and women, and, and he subjects himself to the regime of the devil until he is dead, and then he rises again to show that there is nothing to fear. There is nothing to fear anymore from death. He's broken the regime. It's broken. It's powerless. And one day that regime will completely fall. We're free from the fear of death. And so Christianity is a freedom movement. Why, why would you want to go anywhere else? Why would you want to walk away from that to the kind of slavery of, of, of trying to satisfy ourselves, afraid of death, walking towards our own grave? We have the blueprint for revolution. That's what the gospel is. And, and, and if you haven't yet joined the movement, do you want to? Do you want to? I mean, you might want to check it's all true. A, a big clue comes in the Gospels when you see Jesus walking around and setting people free from death. Some, someone's daughter raised here and then uh, Lazarus walking out of the grave there. And, and, and they're just smaller stories of the big story of what Jesus came to do. If, if you want to look at some of the detail, there's a course called Christianity Explored and we'd love you to do that. Just contact us on one of the emails on the back of the service sheet. Or maybe you're already part of that. You're already part of the movement. You're, you're part of the, rev of the revolution. But you don't always feel that you're free. Let's have, another, let's have a, a look at another part of the Bible to show us what that freedom looks like. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Why don't you turn back to that? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And it's on page 1156. 1156, just about 50 pages back. And that's our only other point this afternoon. Free to risk our spare life. Free to risk our spare life. Let me read from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 20 to 20, 25. This is Paul writing now to the Corinthian church. 
Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, flesh and blood, as Hebrews would have put it. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. That's dominion, authority, and power in, in, in rebellion against God. Verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Can you see, can you see the similarities with Hebrews 2? There's the same backdrops that we saw before. The story of Adam in the garden, that comes in verse 21. Human, human beings bring in death that then ravages the world. Death came through a man, it says, verse, verse 21. And then the great rescue mission that Jesus carries out in verse 27. Jesus is made a little lower than the angels, and one day everything will be put under his feet. That's the great rescue mission. But what I want to convince you of is how incredibly certain this is. How certain. Verse 23. Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. The first fruits. Do you, do you know how the first fruits work? It's basically the first taste. Uh, it can be the first taste of a crop um, or, or the first taste of something else. Picture me a couple of weeks ago making marmalade. I love making marmalade. I don't know why. It's just one of those things that I do um, every year. And, and, and you know, it, it's a bit tense towards the end. You're sort of boiling it up and you're stirring it around and you're boiling it up and you're stirring it around. And then you, 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 you get a little bit of marmalade and you put it on a, a saucer that you've had in the, in the freezer. Don't worry, I'm not going to test you on this. And you, you put it on the saucer. You just check that it's going to set. And then, and then you try a bit. And you see what it tastes like. That's how you make marmalade. You, that's the first fruits. And Jesus is the first fruits of resurrection. That's, that's the picture. He's, he's part of a harvest of human beings, people just like him. And, and God will raise them, not, if you like, as a second batch of marmalade, but as part of the first batch of marmalade, if, if, if I can put it like that. The, the, the bit you take out means that the rest will be the same. Perhaps you can see the bigger picture then, how Jesus completes the story, the big story, that goes all the way through the Bible. Adam was appointed, you remember, a second in command, and he tries to steal God's job. And, and the curse from Genesis 3 says that the result is, is death. He belongs in the grave, and, and death tears up the world. I, I don't need to tell you how much that hurts. And so what happens, Jesus comes down. He comes down lower than the angels, and he's put in the grave, the place where Adam was put. But now we find that death can't keep him there. He's resurrected, and, and, and he's raised so that he is now ruling in the position that Adam vacated. Can you see that? No one was there until Jesus. But now there's a human being doing what people were meant to do, which is rule the world. And his name is Jesus. This isn't some distant event in the future. There is a human being now ruling in heaven. Right now. And so if he's the first fruits, it is impossible that we won't rise. It's impossible. 
Can you see that? Verse 22 of 1 Corinthians 15. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. If, if, you, if you think that the resurrection happened, and I take it that most of us do, then, then we must necessarily rise ourselves. You can't have one without the other. It is impossible that it won't happen. In, in, the, in the same way that it's impossible for this earth not to be full of sin and death because Adam was in it. It is impossible that Christians won't rise physically when Jesus returns. A, a new physical world with a physical Jesus. Real bodies, real friendships. You can go for a run and you can skim stones if you want to. It cannot not happen. And, and so as my friend, you might know him, Charlie Screen says, this is our spare life. Our, our, our real life is, is, is still to begin. This is our spare life and we're free to risk it. Can you see how liberating that is? See how liberating that is? Like... um. Uh, we had a, we, we, we've got a glass water jug. We had a glass water jug at home. Uh, it made contact with the floor and um, shattered into a million pieces. But it's okay. It was just our spare one. <laughs> we've got another one in the cupboard. Verse 30. Can you see how that affects you? Can you see how liberating it is? Why, why does Paul endanger himself every hour? Verse 31, he, he endangers himself every day. Verse 32, he's willing to fight with wild beasts in Ephesus. He could have been an academic with a steady income. Why do that rather than, verse 32, eating and drinking for tomorrow we die? Paul would say, because this is my spare life, my resurrection life is already on the way. So when it comes to this earthly life, I'm not afraid to lose it. That is real liberty. Um, I mentioned it before, but um, there's a Christian called John Chrysostom. Uh, you'll see a picture of him up on the screen. He lived in the 5th century. And um, he was hauled up before the Roman emperor who started to threaten him with all kinds of things. This is one account that we've got of that conversation between the emperor and Chrysostom. He was a, he was a Christian. The emperor said that he would send Chrysostom into exile if he did not stop preaching. His reply was, Sir, you cannot send me into exile, for the world is my father's house. Next, the emperor said, Then I will kill you. No, you cannot, says Chrysostom, for my life is hidden with Christ in God. Then I will take away your treasure, the emperor said. Chrysostom replied, Sir, you cannot do that either. My treasures are in heaven where no one can break through and steal. Then I will drive you away, says the emperor, and you'll have no friends left. This final desperate warning did not bother Chrysostom. He said simply, you cannot do that either, for I have a friend in heaven who has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. It's my spare life, says Chrysostom. I've got another one. So when the emperor says, I will kill you, Chrysostom says, you, you, you can't. My life is hidden with Christ in God. And he could have continued that, that Jesus is reigning over the world. He's the first fruits, and one day he's going to destroy, verse 26, he's going to destroy that last enemy, death. And so you can only take away my spare life, emperor, because my resurrection life cannot not happen. 
I'm free to risk my spare life. Can you see that? It's so liberating. Um, for about five years, I went on a conference in Uganda, and there were about oh, 70 or 80 pastors who used to uh, go around different churches. Each of them had about 20 churches of about 200 people each, and they used to travel around the country uh, in their diocese, which were huge areas. Um, and they often used to be away from their homes for months and months at a time. And, uh, and, and then they came back for a conference once a year, and, and we taught them. Some of the most encouraging people I've ever met. Each year, there were slightly fewer people, and they told stories of, of, of those who we'd been teaching the year before who'd either been murdered or caught malaria and died on the road. And I used to wonder who I was to teach them the Bible when I've sacrificed so little. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the person who, when I get my hair cut, I sit in the barber's chair and I hope they won't ask me what I do for a living so that I won't have to die a little bit from social embarrassment. They were ready to put their lives on the line. And I know how, how hard it is to keep the races going. It's hard to be in a small church, isn't it? Where we don't have our own building, where there's lots of work to do. And there's the time commitment and the stress and the people and the awkwardness of being a Christian. And it can feel restricting. I know that it's hard. But we're only sacrificing our spare life, yeah? We've been placed here in Islington for a reason. We have to believe that. But Jesus has given us a blueprint for revolution. And we have freedom to proclaim. And we are ourselves the most free people in the world. Maybe... Maybe by being generous with your money or offering to read the Bible with your boss or, or by leading a small group, something about your life here will have been given away. It'll feel materially a bit poorer. Maybe you'll earn a bit less because you won't get the promotion that you are hoping for. Maybe you'll have to invest a, a, financial, um, a financial sum from time to time. It's, sometimes things will be easier here at church. Sometimes it'll feel like we're fighting beasts in Ephesus. I mean, that, that's what local church is like sometimes, isn't it? But it was our spare life anyway. Isn't that liberating? We're some of the most, we are the most free people in the world. And we can give away our spare lives so that others can be reached and, and built up so that maybe one day when we're in the new creation, we'll recognize someone who we were able to share the gospel with. Christians have a freedom like no one else has ever known. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for the freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Freedom from condemnation, freedom from sin, freedom to, to, to be ourselves, to be the people we are created to be, uh, and freedom from the fear of death. We know that death uh, cast a shadow over this world uh, that uh, the dust of death is on everything. Uh, but we know that Jesus came out of the tomb to, to liberate us from uh, the tyrannical reign of Satan, to break death so that it is impossible that we won't one day be with him. He's risen and he's reigning in heaven as a human being. And one day we'll go to join him. And so I pray, Father, that, that, that you would remind us how free we are 
And so we'd enjoy the freedom which is ours in Christ Jesus. And we ask in his name. Amen.